Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that leaves no stone unturned in its search for understanding in the property world. We've been away for a little bit, recharging our batteries, but we're back, not least because we have a vital topic to talk about, the state of the central London office market. I don't think people are veering away from real estate in its totality. I think, you know, some people are in pause, but I think the important thing is that London continues to be a market that global investors look at as a priority. Rents on the prime scheme continue to grow in the city and West End, but deals are taking just over six months to happen once they go under offer. So there's lots happening, but it just takes a long time. The whole investment market has moved towards what the occupier wants and that's where best pricing mainly will be. And if you're buying a building that is not offering that, then you'll only end up spending the money to get that building up to grade. Even in the last month alone, we've closed five transactions, £200 million. People are committing from all parts of the globe, coming to London to spend their money, which I think is good news. I'm Guy Ruddle, and I'm delighted to say I have with me top-level Savills expertise in both the investment and occupier areas. So we've got the market thoroughly covered. Let's start with Stephen Down. He's chairman of Central London Investments. He has 30 years or more experience in the London market. He's seen everything at least twice. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Welcome back to the podcast. Guy, lovely to see you, and thank you for inviting me. Richard Garside is new to the podcast. You're our only newbie today, uh, Richard. He works with Stephen and is head of Central London Investments. He's been operating in the London market for the best part of 25 years and has been involved in some of the most high-profile property deals in the capital. Richard, welcome to Real Estate Insights. Very good to be here. Thank you. And Emma Steele casts her net far and wide as Director of Global Cross-Border Investment. She's a Savills lifer, having joined as a graduate 12 years ago, and, she's helps, and she helps international investors with their requirements across the world. Emma, nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. And John Gardner brings the occupier perspective in his role as head of Central London Office Agency. He's also a Savills lifer, having joined as a graduate many years before Emma. Uh, He's been helping owner and occupier clients with their leasing needs for more than 25 years. John, lovely to see you again. Hi, Guy. Great to be back. So we're not short of expertise. Let's let's crack on with this. there's lots I want to talk about. I want to sort of get into what the future holds, of course. I want to talk about types of property that are of, of interest and not interest at the moment. Uh, I want to talk about the, the sort of elephant in the room of hybrid working and working from home and all that sort of stuff. But let's start with a, a sort of scene setter, if we can. So, Stephen, Richard, uh, no one's going to pretend that the sort of central London investment market has been easy in the last 12 months or so. What, where do we stand right now, do you think? Well, you're right to say that. It's been um, less than easy. And this is the case for, for, for values across, commercial values across the whole of the world on major commercial centres. But um, London and the UK are not immune from the, uh, the increases in interest rates that have affected the leverage and therefore valuations. So we've seen a painful sort of fall in values um, in the last 12 to 18 months. And uh, it's been challenging for us. It's been challenging for our clients and obviously challenging for for the banks who are lending to those clients. Richard? And that, well, that challenge on pricing is fed through to transactional volume. So we had a reasonably good start to the year, but mainly on a, a handful of very big transactions which had rolled over from 2022. We then went into a very quiet Q2. We picked up a little bit more momentum in, in Q3, and now all eyes are on Q4. 
Um, there's been a little bit of a change in sentiment post the summer where the phones definitely felt like they started ringing. Certainly there was a spike in inspection levels. And I feel that maybe the human elements taking over people wanting to do deals, having spent the whole year finding reasons not to do deals. And Emma, you're talking to people all over the world all the time. You know, how are how are they feeling? Do you get any sense that, that of what Richard's talking about, of a sort of maybe a sort of slight sort of more interest? Yeah, I think the year has been marked by sort of uh, a cautious approach, really. But that isn't actually reflective of what people are feeling generally. I don't think people are veering away from real estate in its totality. I think, you know, some people are in pause. Others have been finding safer opportunities elsewhere outside of real estate for the moment. But I think the important thing is that London continues to be a market that global investors look at as a priority and uh, actually you know whilst transaction volumes are lower this year I think undoubtedly next year will be better and there is a lot of money waiting in the wings. If you actually look at the transactions that have taken place so far this year we've had money coming from Japan, from Malaysia, from the US. Interestingly, we see domestic money committing. Uh, We've seen Chinese investors. Um, So it reflects the fact that London still remains that number one cross-border capital, which I think is an important factor. And the key thing is, I think one of the principal reasons is this year is because London and the UK has almost seen the fastest repricing of other markets globally. And that is super attractive to people. Um, yeah, we're, we're we're a much more a much more transparent and liquid market than many other global gateway cities, and I think that that uh, the way in which we operate our valuation system, you know, is 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 tracks those changes a lot more quickly. It was a bit slow to start with as as the shift in values started to happen, but I think um, we've seen that openness and transparency work to our benefit more recently compared with other cities and john from the from the occupier point of point of view do, do you get a, a any different sense or is that sort of cautiousness that that's uh, been reflected so far in this conversation let's face it is is that reflected in your part of the market um i would say it's not quite and and the, the two don't perhaps mirror each other there are record levels of name demand that are active in the market today uh, high, high levels of space under offer, you know, 25% up on the long-term average. Rents on the prime schemes, schemes continue to grow in the city and West End. But deals are taking just over six months to happen once they go under offer. So there's lots happening, but it just takes a long time. I mean, I think between now and the end of the year, there's, there's going to be a handful of deals that will happen that have been under offer, as I mentioned, you know, for some time, that that will happen. But, you know, as we go into next year, I think, unfortunately, what's going on in the wider world for corporates and businesses is going to affect decision making, which means that unfortunately, that sort of six month period of doing deals for going under offer, um, you know, is probably not going to get any better. And not least the fact we've got an election probably looming in a year or so's time. So I don't see things materially changing in the next year. The big change, I think, in terms of um, the uncertainty for the occupational market is how much stock is going to be delivered. And, you know, the great uncertainty we've got at the moment is that there are circa 29 million square feet of new schemes planned over the next uh, three or four years. But only half of that have yet have, have yet to actually start commencement. So occupiers are realising they're going to run out of options, run out of stock. Um, and therefore, they probably need to start looking earlier to make sure they don't lose out. Given that we are in a downturn, you know, we're not quite there in terms of calling it a recession. You know, we're still seeing rental growth. So that is a positive to the fundamentals of our marketplace.
And this this idea that, that people are interested in only the very best buildings, the old flight to quality in a downturn situation, what does that actually mean in terms of you know, what do people want out of their buildings? I, I sort of describe it into two things. One is sort of places and spaces. So the spaces, the physical space, but the places around what's around it. And I think what we're seeing more and more of now is that occupiers go, I don't just want to be in a building. I want to be part of a, a location, a district, a part of a regeneration or clearly well served, you know, good fundamentals. You can get there on tube and train, etc. And, and you know, we talk about ESG, we haven't talked about ESG today, but the social impact of that building on the local area is for the very big corporates. And I stress it is big at the bigger end of, of the sort of occupier spectrum. That's really important and so those schemes that can deliver on that and they have to be of, of certain scale uh, to do that are ones that do get traction at certainly at the the sort of bigger end in terms of the spaces themselves a big theme for this year has been sort of hotelification of office accommodation and actually tenants demanding more of the space beyond sort of the, the the classic things that people require in office buildings, it's actually the service that's being provided in them. It's actually, you know, the finishes, the smells, the sounds, the everything. Um, yeah. It goes beyond... Yeah, we've, we've been on this exactly about that sort of term, that hotelification of the land or provide services. And now actually... And partly driven by the, I guess, the economy, which is around how how occupiers use their own cash, they want to be able to use the landlord's ability and balance sheet to deliver, for example, fitted space. So it takes away that problem and that you know the risks of delivering that and finding a way for a landlord to do it actually makes life easier for them. So we're seeing more and more of that as well. I'm conscious that that you know I, when I think about how, when I talk about commercial property, I, I tend to sort of be talking about numbers and yields and. And, and all that sort of stuff. But we're, we, we are talking about not just assets. We're talking about places where people work and where they spend a big proportion of their lives. And, and, and it has to be more than that, doesn't it? Is that, is that something, Emma, that's recognised by investors ar- around the world, that it's, that, it's, um, that it's about more than just the numbers? Definitely. I think it's become a key theme for everybody, creating the right space for the right occupiers. And, you know, I think it, it's it's at the top of people's consciousness now more than ever before. I mean, I know from our perspective, we've we've just had some work done to our office building on Margaret Street. And actually the impact of, of actually relatively small changes in terms of creating the right spaces within the office space in order for certain tasks to be done. And so we've enhanced the number of breakout areas. And that's probably been the biggest change to our on-floor experience. But it's had a massive impact, I think. And, and I think global investors are conscious of that. It's happening all around the world. The UK isn't any different to, to other places. Our building values are generated by lease term, covenant and, and rent. So we mustn't forget the fundamentals, but you know how it sits, particularly on the ESG agenda, particularly if you're trying to target the lowest cost of global capital, you are going to need to tick all the boxes around ESG. Um, but I think... Yeah, That's you- hard for Stephen, because <coughs> when, he, when he started in the market, no one had heard of ESG. Well, well it was a band, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rich is right. I mean, picked up on that. We're, we're finding certainly the institution, more sophisticated institutional investors were demanding to buy buildings that were green and were providing strong amenity for the occupiers because that meant you had, you know, a stickiness in those occupiers. If there were breaks and they were in a building of that quality, you'd kind of make the assumption they wouldn't move. So, I mean, the whole investment 
market has has moved towards what the occupier wants, uh, and that's where best pricing mainly will be. And if you and if you're buying a building that is not offering that, then you'll only you'll only end up spending the money to get that building up to up to grade at some later stage. So that that is a really important piece. So look, let's talk about the, the uh, what I think is the elephant in the room, which is you know working from home or hybrid working. Because I'd say, in in terms of London, we're currently in about a three day in the office world, roughly if you take the average of everybody. Does everyone agree with that? Roughly three days in the office for, say, for three, most, say three and a half, three, three and, and a half, half. Yeah. yeah, covering okay. all sectors. Yeah. yeah, three and a half. Where do you think it's going to go? Well, I mean, if you look at what peak occupancy was pre-COVID, and I think we mustn't think it was ever five days a week, 100%, it never was. It was about 70% and and probably less in, in a lot of other industries. I mean, the latest data we've got is in the West End, we're, uh, and it's gone up to circa 62%, which is probably about, I think, whereabouts it'll get to. Although, interestingly, there's more and more press to say at the moment, more mandated return to the office, more policies from corporates saying, do you know what, if you don't comply with this at least three day a week, you know, you're technically in breach of your your you know your your contract. Um, so I don't think it'll get materially more than where we probably are. in London, in central London. I think there are some industries that are being softer on it, law, for example. But in other industries, you know, a lot of these new AI businesses and some of the tech businesses, not the older tech, but the new tech, they are 100. percent They're Monday to Friday, five days a week. So it's it can't, it's not one size fits all, and it's it's it does vary. I agree. I think I think the pendulum has swung the other way now. I actually think that it's the minority of people that are working from home and. As per John's point, I think, you know, it's it's important, it's vital for people to be in the office together for productivity reasons. And from our, you know, my team's perspective, it's it's vital. I think it's just very interesting, actually. You see the most of the rhetoric we see in the press is coming out of the big American corporates and the IBs. I mean, they are the people who are struggling the most. So if they are forcing people back to the office, and they've also acknowledged that central London is a different market from an occupational perspective. That can only be addition, additional benefits for us, I think. It was a, a post-COVID phenomenon, isn't it? I mean, we became used to working and we adapted to working from home and then followed hard, hard on the heels of that was, you know, a cost of living crisis. I suspect that some of the reasons why people still aren't coming back is it's actually they save money, you know, and if, if they're commuting in and spending vast sums of their... Their, their salary on, on travel, that um, if they can work from home, they will. The key thing, though, John, from a market perspective, is that it means we can't downsize, yeah. right? Yeah. If, if if we are all in agreement that at least people are at least in the office three and a half days a week, then you have no ability to downsize. The, the narratives which the, the press would like to push is around that, that, you know, some of these big corporates are are moving and shedding space because you know, because of working from home. In reality, it's just that their portfolios were, were too big and they need they had way more space than they actually ever needed. But, you know, to Emma's point, the reality is that if you are at peak occupancy for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you still need the same amount of space if you needed it five days a week. So, and actually the data bears that out. You know, I think over 40% of all requirements in the market now need more space. And to John's point earlier as well, I mean, location is still as, as ever-present and important in terms of the pecking order, you know, proximity to public transport for people to get into the office easily rather than having the commute, which Stephen said, which may may put them off. So, you know, we're seeing that with, the, I guess, that little bit of a linear market being created through central London, particularly around the Elizabeth line, and you can see that being represented in, in the rents that are being achieved along that. 
I'm not going to let you leave the studio without doing Tell Me Something I Don't Know, that little bit of extra work you have to do to come up with a, a nugget of information which sort of shines an extra little bit of light on the on the market or the situation or whatever. But before we get to that, I mean, this is a hostage to fortune question and I perhaps I shouldn't ask it, but I'm going to anyway. So does anybody want to come up with a when they think that the, the, the market is properly... Going to going to pick up on the investment side anyway. Do, do any of you want to have a go at that? I think you have to define what properly means in terms of pick up. But I think, you know, as I said earlier, I mean, we've seen a little bit of an uptick in activity, and the phones are beginning to ring since the end of the summer. I mean, even in the last month alone, we've closed five transactions, two hundred million pounds, which is you know, which is good news, positive for the market. People are committing, as I said earlier, it's people committing from all parts of the globe coming to London to spend their money, which I think is good news. Our pipeline of business is looking pretty healthy, and a lot of that is is under offer. So, you know, if you want to be the half full, you, you can be. And then you have a look forward that, you know, the Sonia rates have, have remained relatively stable. Um, if you are to believe our in-house research, some of the outer house research, you know, come H2 next year, we will start to see those interest rates move downwards and could potentially, I'm lost many a bet on this to Stephen Down, but I think it could happen earlier because, you know, you look at the percentage of arrears on mortgages at the moment, it's it's certainly peaking, um, which I think will have an impact on, on when those interest rates moved. And to, to the point we were saying earlier about that future supply and, you know, that is biting. So rents are going upwards and rental growth is one of the biggest factors to drive yield compression. Now, interest rates have, have hopefully peaked out. But, you know, London, for all the benefits of being, you know, a global a global city and a global crossroads for ca- capital, we can't ignore the fact that, you know, what's going on geopolitically uh, upsets and, and affects every market. But London will be impacted by what's happening right now um, across the planet, the, the good and the bad things. So um, probably I, I see the market remaining not bad, stable, Um the fundamentals are very, very good, um, but to say that we're probably we're probably going to be bouncing along the bottom for quite a while. Let's uh, end on a slightly more cheerful note. Then <laughs> let's switch to tell me something I don't know. As I say, this little little bit of extra sort of information. It can be fun. It can be serious. It can be anything you want it to be. Um, Emma. Tell me something we don't know. Okay, so everybody um, enjoys knocking Canary Wharf, uh, but one thing that you may not know is that they are going to have in the order of 60 million people through their shopping centre this year. And so I think we can, you know, that explains that this is a place that people really want to be. 60 million? 60 million, so that rivals the Westfields of, of the city. John? Uh, tell us something we don't know. Oh well, it's a, one of those sort of trivial facts. The new Google building at King's Cross, uh, which is a bit of a groundscaper, is as long as the shard is tall. Is that right? So there we are. Just the, the new person, the first timer to go. Richard, tell us something we don't know. Crikey, mine sounds really boring in comparison to everybody else. But I love a stat. And agency nowadays is very much longhand. You actually got to carry people through a process. So we did some stats about the amount of presentations we've done on our sales stock since the beginning of the year. We've done 759 presentations to individual investors on our sales at the moment. So you've got to carry people from the very start through to inspections through to the end. So we earn our fees. 
Well, you say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, all of you, th- thank you so much for that. Uh, uh, I feel I've learned quite a lot today, which is uh, which is always a good thing. And I hope uh, and I hope our listeners feel that they've learned uh, a little bit as well. Uh, that's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If all that's done is whet your appetite for more information, you'll find plenty of insights and wisdom on the research section of the Savills website. I'll give you the address, uh, but just go to the research section. The address is savills.co.uk slash insights and opinions slash research. No one's going to remember all of that, but uh, it's the research section of the Savills website. Plenty of information there. That's it for this episode. As I say, thank you for for being here. Thank you for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.